0: We are in the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And uh, when you walked in the door this morning, you might have got our three-by-threes. I left mine on the chair right there. Did you all see these things right here? Three-by-threes. Easter's coming up, and uh, I'd love to have you just grab. You got one from the usher. Rip one off, invite somebody to church. And I think we're going to have a great Easter service and pack the house out. And uh, that would be a great way to get someone started in their walk with God. Just simply bring them to church. This is an invitation. I'm praying uh, for you to invite somebody. I've already got a, two people I know who to invite. I'm praying on the third one. Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to study from the book of Mark. Now, Mark is the shortest of the synoptic gospels. That's a theological word that means Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all share the same stories. Mark is also the most vivid gospel. We said it reads like a movie. And here's Jesus on his journey, and he's going from Judea to Jerusalem, and ultimately on his way to the cross, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, 43, 44, 45. I want to read these verses and pray. It says that Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But he said, it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first, shall be a slave of all. For the Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for a heart that is hungry for the things of God, that's palpable and open and desires to grow in grace. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, my wife on more than one occasion has sent me on a journey down to Walmart where she needs me to pick up things like baking powder and I often come home with baking soda. Uh, Other times, you know, she sent me to get heavy whipping cream and I've come home with half and half. (laughs) It's a good thing we live close to Walmart (laughs) because I'm able to, uh, you know, correct mistakes and stay on mission. But that's what Jesus did. except that um, he he could have turned the baking soda into baking powder. Uh, But he stayed on mission. That's what this 45th verse says. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What this tells me is that Jesus stayed on mission. In Luke's gospel, he said he came specifically to seek and to save. That which was lost. like He was locked in to the will of God for his life. Now, he uses an interesting word here, ransom, which sometimes trips people up and and confuses them. But what he said here is that he was going to give his life as a ransom. That ransom word is simply a payment for the release of a prisoner. You're making a payment for someone to be bought out of prison, out of bondage, and That's a great parallel in the Bible because you and I were slaves of sin. That's what we're singing about this morning, caught up in bondages. But Jesus stayed on mission and ultimately was able to set us free through the power of the cross. He never deviated, that he was on or wandered. He never got tripped up, never got confused. He fully understood that he was on a mission that would cost him his life. And yet he went through that. You know, it is human nature to get distracted in life, very easy to just kind of get yourself distracted by things. That's what the parable of the sower is about here in Mark chapter four, that that he said that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things can stifle your activities with God. They can hinder you from really achieving, fulfilling, and walking in the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. And I see this happen to people. I even see it to happen, you know, people who are in ministry. And sometimes, you know, you just kind of get sidetracked with things and, you know, you're working on a house too much. And you, before you know it, you just kind of get caught up with things that you, you know, were busy by. And in this culture, it's, it's easy to be busy, but I've also discovered that sometimes the hardest time to stay on mission is when you've had great success. I want to remind you where we are in Mark's gospel here. We're in this study through through Mark. Last week, we were reading about the multitudes and the miracles. I mean, Jesus' ministry is skyrocketing. He's having incredible success. Everywhere he goes is blessed, man. He's feeding multitudes of people. He's he's getting people delivered from demons. I mean, there's miracles taking place, and throngs of people are after him. And in that environment, it gets easy, you know, to kind of become a legend in your own lunchtime. And yet Jesus was able to stay on mission. I I I think that in the modern church, what you can see right now, is, man, we're being rocked by scandal after scandal, and a lot of times it's happening in very successful places, successful ministries, successful churches, and it's because when you get to a place of success, that's the easiest moment to let your guard down. It's just human nature. You kind of get caught up with things, and, and, and so Jesus is in this moment where, man, it's packed, it's full. He's got all kinds of things going on, but he's staying on mission. And I'll tell you something, I want to stay on mission. I want to run after him. The older that I get, the more it means to me. Because I feel like, man, I'm halfway through the journey right here. And it's like time just, man, it goes so fast. And I want to finish strong. I want to run the race that's set before me. I want to stay on mission just like Jesus did. I know that's what you want to do too. And so I want to highlight what I call the maxims of your mission. Uh, And I want us to go back, actually, to Mark chapter 8. You know, a maxim is a truth. Uh, These are truths about staying on target, because you don't want to miss the mark. That's really what the Bible describes as sin, as when you miss the mark. When, When you drift somehow outside of what God has intended for you, that's where it's easy to let things go. You know, I love to just teach the Bible, but I also love to learn the Bible for myself, And I learned something every time, you know, you get into book studies. I love doing book studies because I like to understand the structure of the book. I like to understand how it's woven together. And so I found out that Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, three chapters right here, Jesus is going to make the same statement in each chapter. And that statement deals with his mission. He's going on a journey to the cross. And in the middle of all the accolades and success, he stays on mission. Mark chapter 8, look at verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that he would have to suffer many things, be rejected by the political class, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and after three days, rise again. And it says he spoke this word openly. Say openly. He spoke the word openly. It says Peter took him aside, and he did the craziest thing. Peter began to rebuke Jesus. You don't rebuke Jesus. Because you'll find the next verse that Jesus rebuked Peter. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, when I was reading this verse, it, the thought hit me. He was open about what he's saying. So, the first maxim I can give you about your purpose and your mission is that sometimes your purpose can be obvious. Or it, it's right, it's very clear. He's not being vague, Jesus is talking in a literal sense. He, he's been quite literal about it. I mean, it, it's, it's open, it's clear. And you'll see various places in the Bible where people understood their mission. Jesus stayed on mission. Abraham had a clear calling from God. He was gonna give him a son. Never deviated from that. Uh, you know, Joshua had a clear mission. Go into the promised land. It wasn't too hard to understand it. Nehemiah had a clear mission. Build the wall around Jerusalem. I mean, this was something that was really obvious. It was right there. In front of them, something to do. It tells us that Jesus began to teach them. In other words, he's like introducing a new doctrine. Up until this point, he hadn't been talking about what he's about to say. And his doctrine went something along the lines like this I'm gonna be killed, but I will rise again. And that's a pretty heavy statement. I mean, I think they were obviously unprepared for it, but he understood his mission. You know, the mission can be obvious. It could be something staring you in the face, and it becomes obvious when it's just like you know, right there. Now, I think about Pastor David, you know, he's back there with the kids' ministry, and I'll tell you how that started. It was, you know, he has four kids, and we were trying to figure out how to expand it, what to do and and the purpose became obvious. I mean, he just felt like, man, I feel God has put this in my heart. I'm going to do it. And to be honest with you, it's not every day that it, a 40-year-old man, father, will go back there and teach children, but I respect and admire it. And he did it because the purpose was obvious. It's an obvious thing. Sometimes it's it's obvious when it's easy for you and natural to you. So I think about Pastor Daniel, and he's what we call a financial wizard. Actually, Jessica, his wife, is the wizard, but <laughs> he does a good job of stewardship. He does such a good job. But I get phone calls from other pastors wondering, how are y'all doing this financially? Like, how, and and they'll they want advice. And I'll try to give them the best that I know. But I say, who you really need to talk to is Pastor Daniel. Because it's easy, it's natural, it's, 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 it's obvious because it's operating in his life. It's a natural thing. I'm grateful for that. Sometimes the reason why it isn't obvious to people is because they might be like Peter and they might not really fully be in tune with what God is doing. Peter had a carnal mind. He had a revelation of Jesus being the Christ, but he didn't have the revelation of Jesus having to go to the cross. So he's there talking with the Lord, and he begins to rebuke him. And I've seen how this happens to people. Something might be obvious to everybody else, but because you're consumed by carnal things, you're not really identifying what the Lord is doing in the moment. That's what happened to Peter. He found himself, you know, in this moment, Jesus is being literal here. He's saying what's going to happen, and Peter, he, he gets tripped up by that. Now, I had a pastor friend 20 years ago. He was in Kansas City, and he, he was like an evangelist. He was having crowds and people, personable guy, and it's such success that an older man came to him and gave him a church building. And I think at the time it was valued at like 30,0, 400000 so he gave them this, you know, building and they were having church in there, and it dawned on the man that he needed to go to the bank and take a mortgage on that building and buy himself a Christian nightclub. So he was gonna have nightclub till like, you know, two in the morning, and then they were gonna flip that place and get it ready for church on Sunday morning. And let me just make a long story short, it didn't work out. Now you lost your building and and, and you know, you're wore out. I mean, sometimes your purpose is obvious, but you get sidetracked because you get caught up with wrong ideas. And if you're in tune with the Lord, that's when it becomes easy to identify, easy for you to see if you're close to him. Like like Mary was. Remember, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his secrets, and she's the only one that knew he was going to die. That's why she anointed him for burial, because she had been listening and had the mind of the Lord. Now, I like that The Bible is such a balanced book. This this is the flip side of of the coin. Let's go over to chapter 9. Because we're going to see on one hand, it's quite clear. On the other hand, chapter 9, verse 30, it says that they departed from there and they passed through Galilee. So he's making his way up in the region that he'd been ministering. And he said he did not want anyone to know it. And then he taught his disciples and said, I'm going to be betrayed. Now, he's elaborating, expounding on his doctrine. I will be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill me. On the third day, I will rise again. But in verse 32, the disciples did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So when we talk about your mission and your purpose, sometimes it can be very obvious. On the other hand, the purpose that God has for you sometimes is a hidden thing. It's sometimes something you don't fully perceive or understand. It might be concealed and kept out of sight from. And when I think about, you know, the Apostle Paul on the Damascus road, he had this experience with the glory of God where he got radically transformed and saved. But it was 14 years later that he would begin his missionary trips, and three years of that was spent alone in the wilderness processing and trying to discover what specifically God had called him to. When I think about, you know, when Jesus made a statement. And he said, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And the disciples were tripped up by that. And what it was was a reference to John the Baptist. They figured, or John the beloved, John, the apostle John, they thought that he would be alive for the Lord's return. And what Jesus is really saying is that I'm going to give John a revelation, the book of Revelation, that he'll see the kingdom of God coming. It was hidden from them. They didn't fully understand it. Sometimes that's the way God deals with us and things. You know, Jesus is kind of making a tactical shift in his ministry. It says that he did not want anyone to know it. He's he's making this intentional shift. And instead of spending the next part of the book chasing after the multitudes, he begins to spend more time alone with his disciples. He's starting to do a real intentional thing, discipling them. There's a man named Robert Coleman who wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he was Billy Graham's crusade director. And Robert Coleman is quoted as saying that if Billy Graham could do it again, Billy Graham said that he would rather spend more time discipling people than in front of the multitudes. Because that's really where evangelism and discipleship is effective. It's in these one-on-one settings. So Jesus is in this place where he starts shifting away from all the success All the the stuff that's going on, and he starts intentionally speaking to his disciples. Things that were hidden from other people. Now, it is the prerogative of God to hide things from us sometimes. In his sovereignty and wisdom. Uh, It tells us in the book of Mark here, chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, that he spoke hidden things and parables to people. But when the disciples were alone, he'd speak to them privately. So they would have understanding. That's what happens when you sit at the feet of Jesus long enough. You'll start listening for secrets, hearing things, understand things. As I read the scripture, I comprehend it more and more the more I'm around you know, It's interesting that when he was resurrected, he was on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 with two men, and the Bible says that their eyes were concealed. He didn't reveal himself to them. He wanted to reveal himself in the breaking of bread. That's how they knew him. When they broke bread together and had communion, that was God's prerogative. That was his will. And I've had him hide himself from me in certain moments. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I was just saying, man, I was real emotional this morning in worship because I've, I've been really just working on the house. I'm trying to get it done. I want to get, I want to enjoy my summer. You know what I'm saying? I want to get this project done. And, and so I, I've been, I've been just, you know, working at it. And in moments like that, I don't feel like God has left my life, but I don't feel the presence of God like I'm used to feeling. But what I've discovered in that is sometimes that happens so that you might discover God in a whole new way, a new fresh way. because what he's doing is he's just trying to help you look for Him in a path that you might not have taken before. Like, I need Him more now in ways that I have before. And He hides himself so you'll seek Him, so you'll go after Him. There's a great verse in Proverbs 25, and I've often shared this with people. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God, or it's the glory of a king to search a matter out. And I'm someone who I've told you before that the Lord might speak to me in dreams. And when you have dreams, sometimes, you know, you just think it's a pizza dream. Like I heard one guy, this lady came to the pastor. She said, I had a dream. Can you help me interpret it? He said, well, what is it? She said, I saw a wild boar, a hog, running through the field and there was a monkey on his back eating a banana. She said, what does it mean? And he thought about it and said, well, it sounds like you've been riding high on the hog, lady. <laughs> but sometimes when God does speak in dreams, it's not necessarily obvious, but it becomes clear as you pray about it, process it, think about it. And suddenly, you, oh, that's what I feel like the Lord is saying. And that takes... A king, a person to really just seek it out. What God is doing is He's just trying to get you to hear His voice. And He does that sometimes by hiding things so you might stretch yourself a little bit and go after it. It's His prerogative to do that. Sometimes things are hidden from you because it's not your season, it's out of time. I think about Jesus, and it tells us many times that they were going to kill him. One time, they were going to take him up on a cliff and throw him over the cliff, and it says he walked through the crowd because it wasn't his time. wasn't the season for that. And you know, I had another minister friend 20 years ago. Was in the ministry for a long time, 20 years. Fruitful, successful, people loved him. And somehow, he transitioned out of ministry. Ended up an endeavor in a business arena that has just flourished and been blessed. I mean, just doing great, and he's in the will of God. And you'd think if someone had shared with you 20 years ago, this is where your life would take you, he probably wouldn't have been able to see it, receive it, or understand it because it might have been hidden. But that's how God does it. Sometimes it's, it's out of season, and it might make sense in another season. You know, sometimes they're hidden from you because you're afraid of the implications. It tells us in the 32nd verse... The disciples were afraid to ask him what it meant. I mean, they probably didn't want to know what I'm going to be betrayed, they're going to kill me means. They probably just kind of wanted to skip to the good part. Like, we're just not going to think about that. (laughs) I heard someone say that God loves you too much to give you all the details up front. And if you, you know, sometimes the call of God will cost you something. It can be a painful thing. I did uh, something called Pastors University at the beginning of 2020. I was flying to Florida for continuous education. We went to the most incredible church, man, my friend Randy Bazette. I think it was like, at that time, the 25th largest church in America. And man, the guy was the most humble man you ever met. He told me that they were with him for many years, a wonderful man. And his staff would tell me that they were with him for many years because he was so kind to them. And I began to ask you know, about the history of the church. I found out that he started his church, it was in Sarasota, Florida. You know, like I think in the year, you know, two thousand or the late nineties, and, and at that time there was eleven church plants in that county, and his church grew to be the largest of those, and and it was like only three of them that had succeeded after all that time, and Pastor Randy, what, what happened to him? He had some people that planted with him that were his close friends. They'd take trips together, go on vacations. And I don't know what happened. Someone got bitter and offended along the way. And boy, did they try to do him in. His associates stole the church database. So he lost all the tra- records of people. giving. Re- I mean, everything got taken from him. They were slandering him. They were calling the cops. I mean, all kinds of crazy things. And, and if Randy had known the cost that it was going to be, he probably wouldn't have wanted to fulfill what he was doing. When you start something, sometimes it can be, you know, daunting to you if you know what it would take along the way to get there. And, and that's what Jesus is telling these disciples, but they don't want to hear it. They're a little bit afraid to ask what this fully means. It was a hidden thing. So sometimes, you know, God's purposes, his plan, his mission is right there in front of you. Sometimes it's hidden. You got to seek it out. You got to search for it. You got to be curious about it. You can't be afraid of it. But whether it is hidden or whether it is obvious, I will tell you this. It's always singular in nature. Let's go over to chapter 10. Here's the third place where Jesus makes this statement. I'm in chapter 10, verse 32. It says that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Now, I've been on that road the thing you got to understand about Jerusalem is it's actually like in the mountains. Israel's you know, close to the sea, so Jerusalem's like a 3,000 know, elevation, 3,000 feet, and there's a road that goes up to Jerusalem. That's why in various places you read they're going up to Jerusalem, and it says that Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Because one place in the Bible says his face was set like flint. Think about this. He's telling them, all, I'm going to go there, and they're going to kill me. And he's determined, and his face was focused. And, and they're just watching him like this guy is crazy. And, and they followed him, and it says they were afraid. They're not really sure what to make of a guy who's willing to go to these lengths. It says they took the twelve aside and began to tell them all the things that were gonna happen to him. And now he's really elaborate. He's gonna lay it out fully for him a third time. We're going up to Jerusalem. He said, You better follow me, and I'm gonna be betrayed. And the chief priests and the scribes are going to condemn me to death. They're going to deliver me to the Romans. And they'll mock me, scourge me, spit on me, pluck my beard out, beat the tar out of me, and kill me. But on the third day, I will rise again. I mean, they're afraid, and they're amazed. You know, probably they misunderstood, misinterpreted what he's saying. Because the very next verse, you got two headstrong people, James and John, the sons of thunder, who start immediately thinking, well, if he's going to die, I'm going to be with him in his kingdom. And I want to be right next to him. And they start having this power-tripping conversation as to who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom, in which Jesus gets to a point in verse 42, where he says, boys, boys, come on over here. Uh, You know those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. That's what the Romans did. The Romans were... Master manipulators, they would have crucifixions all across the roads of the countryside so that you could understand who was in control. And he said "The great ones exercise authority over them. That's the culture they were in. And this is what makes Jesus' leadership and Christianity so countercultural. But he said, it's not going to be that way among you. If you want to be great, you shall be a servant. And he said, if whoever desires to be the first... He takes it one step further. He needs to be a slave of all. Now, here's the point that we want to make here. Your purpose is to be a servant. It really does come down to the singular nature of what he's... If you want to know the greatest calling you'll ever have, the greatest thing you can do for God, the highest place in the kingdom, and one who is with when you simply are a servant, one who's fully devoted to God, and one who is willing to do whatever it takes to further the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. It, it, you know, some, Sometimes it's right there in the face, sometimes you don't quite sure. It's always for you to be a servant. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, three places are in the middle of his ministry where he starts moving away from crowds and starts telling them about the cross. And after he spoke of his death, burial, and resurrection each time, he's always mentioning being a servant. Chapter 8, he's going to say, you got to take up your cross. Chapter 9, he said, if you want to be the greatest, you're going to have to be a servant. And and chapter 10, he says, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be a slave. I mean, he's really just upping it every time. This is what it means to follow after me. So we got this universal truth at play here. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, because serving for some people is a mission impossible. Your mission is to be a servant. It's to be a blessing, serve someone, find a way for which your gifts, your talents, your abilities can be a blessing in the kingdom. You want to talk about purpose and where you find it? Be a servant. That's what Jesus is saying. An opportunity to serve. There's no greater calling in your life. Let me talk about servanthood. Servanthood is where you are uh, you know, not power-tripping. You're not abusing your authority. And that's what Jesus is first of all saying, uh, that the, the, the Gentiles will lord authority over people. So servanthood is an attitude of the heart that's submissive. And man, I've been with people who, when they're given a position of power, authority, they can't handle it. It's called being like a boss. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Some people just aren't able to handle it. They start, you know, being abusive. Their mouth gets snappy. They get too big for their britches. You've all worked for people like that. And I've met ministers like that. I remember my sister was in high school, and, you know, she had a a youth pastor stand up, and and he was trying to encourage her to to get involved. He got up on a table, and and he said, you know, there's this side and there's this side. you got to make a decision what you're going to do. I mean, she was pretty scared. And he almost fell off the table and made her laugh and calmed her down. <laughs> but it's hard to follow people when, when, when they can be abusive, when, when, when it feels like that they're real heavy-handed with you. You know, in India one time, I met the most humble man. His name was Hanuk. And he blessed me because in India right now, it's like increasing in the, um, in the Christian martyrdom and Christian persecution. It, it, I mean... It's really incredible. If you have a church in India, they're going to set you down. They might kill you reading about beatings all the time. Now, Hanuk, he just goes from town to town on his little motorcycle, incognito, and he's planted you know dozens of churches. In India, it might just be three people in a home somewhere, but he'll go with them. Every chance he got doing that, it could be his life. But he, man, when I was with him, every chance he got, he'd try to serve. He'd try to be a blessing. I have never met someone so humble and a servant in my life. I'm telling you, heaven's going to be, that, that's where the reward gets great in heaven. I mean, around the world, you meet people who love God in incredible ways because they really are servants of his. Now, uh, servanthood really has to do with the, the ability to stay away from ambition. It, it's not ambitious. James and John were ambitious. They wanted recognition. They, who, who is going to be at the seat with Jesus in heaven. They, they, they were looking for that opportunity to be right there. I found that if people are ambitious, it's hard for them to be a servant. They seldom serve. Or sometimes they, they serve with the intent that they might be seen. That's really what's driving them. And, you know, I, I just remember watching a Barbara Walters special. How many of y'all remember Barbara Walters? Yeah, and you know who she had on there? It was Billy Graham. She's interviewed kings, and presidents, and pop stars. And she was interviewing Billy Graham. And afterward of the interview, they asked her what it was like to interview Billy Graham. And she said, what I liked about Billy Graham was that he didn't have a presence that just, you know, overpowered you. He came into the room unannounced. It was like you could feel he was genuine and really cared about you. And she described him as a servant. Well, That's what Jesus did, man. The last night of his life, He's washing the feet of stinky fishermen, and he did it in a way that was unannounced. He wasn't promoting himself. He simply began to do it. It was a natural thing. There was no ambition behind it. And, and that's what servanthood is. It stands in the way of ambitious behavior. Servanthood, we could say, is love in action, love emotion. We could say it's love incorporated, like we're highlighting this morning. You know, I, I had to laugh because I got my friend Simon and his family. They moved all the way out from Portland. And they hardly didn't know anybody. I mean, how do you make a move when you barely know anybody? You just come to Billings. and if you, So it, it, Billings in Portland are a little different. <laughs> Cultures are different. Churches are different. And So it, it's like, I mean, how, how do you make that adjustment, man? I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. And, and so I was talking to Simon about what he's doing at Loving. He told me the most interesting thing. He said what they really needed, because they're helping people you know, who need to learn how to budget, take care of themselves, you know, helping people who are really down and out. And they said, man, the biggest way you could be a blessing is if you could watch kids in your home while they're in the classes. And Simon said, well, I don't know that I, I would be you know, the best utilized at that. I don't know if that's my skill set, but I'm willing to do it. And that's called being a servant. That's what it means to just say, I, I will do whatever it takes and demonstrate a level of servitude and love towards God. Man, The greatest thing you can do with your life is be a servant. That's what Jesus said, be, serve somebody. With, man, that, that's what he's emphasizing in the middle of this journey he's on. Crowds, miracles, and he's telling them in secret, he's telling the disciples, be a servant. Now, Jesus stayed on mission, probably because he didn't go to Walmart shopping for things. I mean, he, he, he was able to stay on mission. He didn't have his wife tell him to get baking soda or pegging pot, whatever it is. I need pictures and screenshots sent to me. <laughs> Let me ask you about your mission, man. Are you staying on mission? Are you staying on point? Are, are, are you really pursuing and following like you need to be? I would bet that there's people in the room and God is calling you to something that's so obvious. You know, you know what? You see it right there in front of you. It's very clear to you. And maybe there's a hesitancy on your part. Maybe your carnal mind is stopping you from really seeing it. But you know, it's right there. It doesn't need really... It's it's something that's just in front of you. And Jesus said, take up your cross. Follow me. I bet you there's a lot of people here who feel like it's hidden. You might see it in part. That's what Scripture says. You see it in part, but you don't know it. And you're like, man, I want to know more. I want... I want it to be fully revealed to me. And that means that you're going to have to seek for it. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. There's something about seeking it. Here's what I've discovered about the will of God. When it's hidden like that, sometimes as you walk it out, it becomes more clear to you. Like like you're just moving in a direction, and you're not quite sure, but if you feel led that way, it, it suddenly starts taking shape. It starts making sense to you. That's the will of God. And he's doing that to stretch you, to grow you. He's doing that because he wants you to find him in a new way. Yeah. Or it could be that you just understand the will of God is for you to be a servant. Who are you serving? Are you serving someplace? Because that's really where incredible things happen. A spouse that you need to do a better job serving. Maybe finding opportunities could be your church family. Finding opportunities to be the servant God has called you to be is your chief end. I'm not talking about being codependent, overextending yours. I'm talking about you really fulfilling the call of God and his purpose for you. That's what Jesus is saying the whole time. And I want to pray that you would know the will of God, know your purpose, stay on point. How many of you want to be on point in your mission? Yeah, I want to pray that. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying over this people. I'm praying that they walk with you and grow with you in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that is uplifting and encouraging. And I pray for clarity in the call of God. They see it's not not a mystery, that it's it's revealed, fully known. We could walk it out. I even pray for people who are on the fence, that it's time for them to just step into that, start moving. And I pray for people who've been beaten up, distracted, hurt, frustrated, step into that call of God for their life. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm sitting here in church. I see my buddy out there back on the couch, Mr. James Bonner. He had a little knee problem. And James, you're just on my heart as I was praying because God has used you in so many ways before, particularly as an evangelist, man, sharing your faith everywhere you go. Can you just stand up back there? I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God continues. to Look at that. He had to get up and hobble. <laughs> Lord, heal that man fully. After his operation, I pray that he's going to be back in good shape. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you continue to use him as a servant. James, I- I'm looking at you. It's strange. There's a light behind you from the from the uh, mirror. And I'm telling you, it's just lighting you up. The Lord's highlighting you because God has got greater things ahead of you. And I want to challenge you not to be discouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing because God will reward you in due season. Come on, buddy. Proud of you for all you've done for the Lord. Amen. 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 Yeah. I... Um, I had to laugh because I'm watching like, you know, the Russians invade Ukraine's horrible. Grateful for your generosity and the offerings we took. Now, every time I sign in somewhere, I got to go through like three security points. Because they're telling us all about cyber warfare, how real that is, right? And I was reading up about it, and they got this thing called ransomware. Anyone understand what ransomware is? Ransomware, it's a term you've heard. It's, it's, it's about malware or cyber warfare stuff that they, they put. It's, it's, a, it's a computer virus. And, excuse me, it's not. It's called ransomware. Ransomware. Somebody say ransomware. Now, ransomware is a virus. And when it's on your computer, it will seize everything. It will stop it from working until you pay a ransom. With like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, which is really hard to trace. So you've got to pay the Russians or whoever it is that's hacking your computer. Probably the kid down the street in his mom's basement. You've got to pay that ransom in order for you to get access back to your passwords and all your computer stuff. It's called ransomware. And it can be very expensive. But you know what was more expensive than that is the price that Jesus paid for your soul. And he became a ransom for people. And here's what happens when you're outside of the will of God or you've never met him or you don't know him. You never really reach your potential. Your assets are frozen. You're not really able to fulfill purpose in life. There is no purpose and meaning and enjoyment outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? He paid a ransom for our souls, man. He bought you on Bitcoin. Actually, he bought you with blood. A great price for your soul, right? And every head, bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know the Lord, I just want to give you the opportunity this morning to understand, appreciate, know the price that was paid for your soul. And if you need to know that price, if you never had his blood cleanse you, I want to give you an opportunity this morning up. We'll pray with you. You can know God, understand the price that was paid. Walk with him. Amen. 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 All right, will you stand up with us this morning? I want to just thank you all for coming out to Bethany Church today. What a great day to be in the house of God. And I want to remind you that Easter's coming. We got three by threes. It would be great if you became an evangelist. And invited somebody out to church, you could just drop it off somewhere in one of those restaurants where they have business cards, put it up on a wall somewhere. Think about two, three people you can invite. A personal invitation goes a long way. This is the season, and I'm telling you, the hour is late. And it would be great for you to bring someone with you to the house of God. You could change a life forever. Amen, amen. If you want prayer, the altars are open. And we got some information about Love, Inc., if that's something in your heart. We're grateful for the work that they're doing. Let me just say one more thing about Love, Inc. that's so great is all of us as churches are working together on it. And I love the unity that exists there. I love that you've got a bunch of churches coming together in our city. I'm grateful to live in a city like that, that we can all do that together. And it blesses my soul. So we love you. We'll catch you all next week. God bless you.